Welcome to episode 11 of Retrospection. My name's Colin, and I'm in New York. And I'm Paul, and I'm in another time and another place. And each... That threw me off. In this episode, we're going to take a look at Streets of Fire from 1984. Film directed by Walter Hill. Unlikely film, really. Directed by Walter Hill. Yeah. I find. Yeah. So this film had a budget of 14.5 million and ended up taking in $8 million. Ooh. It's still no Condor Man, though, is it, really? <laughs> no, no. Uh, originally, it was thought of as the first part of an Adventures of Tom Cody trilogy. Oh, that would have been fun. Yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> now, most of the production budget went on the set, which was constructed outside and then covered in a giant tent, so it resembled night. It worked. You did, except the... This caused problems with sound recording as the voices were drowned out by the tent flapping in the wind. <laughs> and also the sound of uh, seething anger from Michael Parr. <laughs> yes. He didn't get on uh, with Rick Moranis, apparently, did he? No, he described Rick Moranis as having the kind of face that couldn't even get you laid if you had a fistful of 50s in a whorehouse. That's a bit harsh. A little bit, but apparently Rick Moran has just made fun of him all the time. As soon as they met in the office, the first thing Rick Moranis did was make fun of him and imitate him. And Well, I'm not, you know, he, he, is an easy tar- <laughs> he was an easy target. And I'll say this for Rick Moranis, at least he had a personality. Yeah. So, part of the film's problem, uh, ignoring everything else that's wrong with it. Part of its problem... <laughs> Let me rephrase this. Explain this to me, I'm all ears. Let me explain. All right. One of the reasons it wasn't successful was the fact that it was released in June of 84, one week after Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Well, I know which one I saw. The same day as Star Trek III, The Search for Spark and Once Upon a Time in America, and one week before Gremlins and Ghostbusters came out. So are you positing that, that uh, the failure of this film is down to its competition at the time? No, but I'm saying that the fact that that is one hell of a summer release it is, it schedule. Is. There's a lot of competition there, and uh, I can see this film getting lost. Yeah, so it's, you know it's undespan- undespandable. <laughs> undespandable. Yes, exactly. Unlike you know that I, word. I knew, I knew what you were talking about then more than I knew what was going on in this film. Trust me. So it's understandable why the streets of fire were quickly extinguished. Very good. Yeah, that's a great line. Thanks, thanks. Really good, really good. We're here to reignite those flames. Wow. (laughs) So the plot? Oh yeah, we haven't done the plot, have we? Neither did they. (laughs) Ellen Aim is kidnapped by the leader of a biker gang, and her old boyfriend is called to come and rescue her. We're done. Is that what it's about? The film stars Michael Parr or Parre, depending whether they bother to put the accent on his E, because it seems to change. What I was pretentious. Ta- Maybe. Sorry. <laughs> he stars as Tom Cody, Diane Lane as Ellen Aim, Rick Moranis as Billy Fish, William Defoe as Raven Shaddock, Amy Madigan as Mackay, and small roles for Bill Paxton as Clyde the Bartender and Ed Begley Jr. as Ben Gunn. Very small role for Ed Begley Jr. The film is directed by Walter Hill, who had done The Driver, Brewster's Millions, Red Heat, The Warriors, and was actually just coming off 48 Hours, which was a huge success. Which is one of my favourite movies, actually. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, 48 Hours. I love 48 Hours. I I, I quite like Walter Hill as a director. And then I saw this movie. Okay. So he also wrote it with Larry Gross, who also wrote 48 Hours, and an episode of TV series Midnight Caller. Class. Yeah. It's produced by Lawrence Garden and Joel Silver, who, it's fair to say, is pretty much Hollywood royalty in the world of producing, right? Yeah, so so many so many things. Die Hard, for a start. I mean, yeah, yeah, Lethal Weapon, Predator, Weird Science, Matrix, and then, more recently, The Nice Guys. A lot of classics. Yeah. The music is by Ry Kuda, with two songs written by Jim Steinman. <laughs> oh, and they're so written by Jim Steinman. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll get to that. <laughs> All right, so shall we leap into the film? Absolutely. There's only, one, there's only one way to approach this film. You might as well dive head first. Go on. Yeah. So right from the beginning, we're hit with the music. Mm-hmm. Diane Lane comes on stage. 
as Ellen Aim, and she's lead singer of Ellen and the Attackers, and she's performing a homecoming concert. Yeah. And we get a lot of fast cuts, which oddly are not in time to the music. They're really jarring for some reason. And I also noticed that, that the instruments that people are playing on stage, like the, the drummer, for example, the way he hits the drums doesn't actually match with the drums in the song. Are they real drums in the song or are they electric drums? No, they're electric drums, but he's playing real drums. Okay. They didn't even try and match it up. I mean, he's whacking away at these drums and, and it, there's no relation to the music that's going on in the background. It's like watching Top of the Pops live. <laughs> in the 80s, so it's very <laughs> apt, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but do you think maybe we should say that uh, the, before we even get into the first scene, there's um, there's captions that come up, isn't there, which explain where we are? Well, it, you've already used the line. You've stolen the line already. Yeah, but but I stole the line out of context, so no one had any idea what I was talking okay. about. <laughs> so, yes, it begins by saying that it's another time, another place, and that it's a rock and roll fable. And I was, I was interested at that point. <laughs> at that point. <laughs> I'm being harsh. Continue. So so we see a lot of cuts of people going to the concert and we see um, some bikers moving into the town. And we also meet Rick Moranis as Billy the Fish, who's Ellen's manager and boyfriend, and he's watching from the wings. And he immediately comes across as a nurse. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he, and he, it's a weird role because I, I find that he looks like Rick Moranis. He's wearing the, you know, he's wearing the, the little bow tie and the... And the, the the funny little suit that he always wears and his glasses. Right. But he plays it completely different than a, a normal Rick Moranis role, doesn't he? Yeah, it's one of those roles that almost borders on annoying for the people watching the film. Because he's constantly complaining. Yeah, and I, I have a thing where, like, okay, I get that he's annoying to the people in the film, but when a character starts being annoying to me as well, I get really fed up with it. And he comes really close to that line. I understand completely, but I, I honestly didn't find him as annoying as some of the other characters in the movie. Oh, okay. That we haven't met yet at this point. Right. But, but I, this, whole, this whole opening, though, um, the way it's all cut together with the music and everything, it, it's so Miami Vice. Yeah, I mean, it was criticised at the time for being an MTV f- movie, but MTV had just started at that mm-hmm. moment, so it was uh, more of, a, I guess, a coincidence than an actual influence you think so? I, was, I was wondering which came first they, they talk about it in the fact that they think mtv killed the film as well because it they just happened at exactly the same time but it's interesting that that, that didn't happen with miami vice though miami vice thrived because of that particular thing well the, the argument could be that miami vice also was good was good <laughs> there is that but also <laughs> miami vice created the style True, no one had done it, had they, before? Not in that's TV. What, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So obviously Miami Vice did it first. Yeah, yeah. Miami Vice created that style. And, you know, that's why in later seasons of Miami Vice, people were looking at it as a little old and tired because fashions have moved on. But Miami mm-hmm. Vice was still stuck in that period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Miami Vice as much as I'm, we'd I'm love sure to. We, I'm sure we will at some point. <laughs> I'm sure we will. <laughs> That'll be a three-hour podcast, trust me. <laughs> So now the biker gang called the Bombers the what? turns up. You heard. We're not, you're not doing that every time I say a word. I had to cut loads of those out last time. <laughs> I am what I am. <laughs> and this biker gang is led by Raven Shaddock, played by William Defoe, who's got tons of ma- more makeup on than Diane Lane. And yet he looks, he looks like he's about 19 in this movie. Probably is. Diane Lane was 18. Yeah, it was. It was a. Um, she was. She was very young, wasn't she? It was her first movie, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. In fact, Walt, I, I read that Walter Hill wasn't completely sold on her at first, was he? No, and I think he went off Michael Power as well. <laughs> Didn't we all? <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to the concert, and we see him watching Ellen from the audience, and it's a lot of focus on him. So he's going to be important. And then he decides he's going to kidnap Ellen. But he waits till the song to finish. And the thing about this film is all the songs are pretty much played completely. You get the whole song. They are, and I did like that. And the, the songs are, for the most part, fantastic, I think. You know, the, yeah, the soundtrack album's pretty good. I mean, this, particular, this opening song is particularly um, 
interesting because it, it's so um, it's got Jim Steinman's fingerprints all over it. So meatloaf. Oh, so, yeah, it's bat out for hell, right? Absolutely, but but it's fantastic and. Um, <laughs> It, no, it is. <laughs> oh, I'm not arguing with you. That's the thing about Jim Steinman. You listen to his songs and you go, oh, they, they all sound like Bat Out of Hell, but it just mm-hmm. so happens that Bat Out of Hell is a good song. So, And, and they're all produced to within an inch of their life. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's so constructed as a song. But it really hits and, you at the beginning of this film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great opening. The, the, I, I was completely on board with the opening of this movie. I thought it was fantastic. So then they kidnap Ellen, and the biker gang start to tear up the town, they're trashing windows, destroying the only police car this town appears to have. Mm-hmm. And With the only wo- two cops as well. Yeah, there's only two policemen. And then there's this one woman who's really angry. Which one was that? I don't remember that. She, the camera focuses on her just screaming at the top of her voice and like gesticulating. <laughs> She's like really putting effort into it. Maybe she thought it was a big moment. Either that or she's seen the script. Yeah, maybe. All the cuts have a comic effect with sound effects to them. Oh, yeah, the, I wrote that uh, in my notes. The sound effects in this movie go crazy, don't they? Mm-hmm. When, yeah. when anyone gets punched, they really get punched. It's a oh. proper thwack noise that you hear. and Yeah, everything's turned to 11. Mm. But I, I suppose it, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with, with, with what we're dealing with, really. You mm-hmm. know, everything's turned to 11 in this movie, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So at the concert was Reva Cody... And she contacts her brother, Tom, and tells him she, he should come home urgently, which he does. And Tom's an ex-soldier, and he's also Ellen's ex-boyfriend. When he gets to the town, he goes to the restaurant that his sister works in. And also, one of the waitresses is Olivia Brown, who we know from... Miami Vice. Yes. <laughs> so there's your connection. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a shame there's no Night Rider correction, connection, really, isn't there? I'm surprised you didn't find one. Because I'm sure that's all you do now. I tried. Yeah. I tried because I know you enjoy that that part of a podcast so much that I thought I'd try, but I couldn't find one. So yeah. Almost. And we should point out that everything that we've described so far, the credits are still happening. Yes. Yes. The credits go on for 15 minutes. I timed them. Yeah, I was thinking, when is this movie actually going to start? <laughs> so Tom's sister tells him what has happened, and he agrees to see Billy Fish about rescuing Ellen. Before he can leave the restaurant, there's a fight with a gang. Mm -hmm. And Tom subdues them all and then steals their car. He then heads over to the tavern, the Black Hawk. And there he meets McCoy. She's an ex-soldier. And we realise she's tough. When she decks the bartender, played by Bill Paxton. Is being a soldier a euphemism in this film for her being gay? Yeah, but is she gay? Because I got the impression that she does actually quite like Tom, Michael Parr's character, but she keeps saying that she's, you know, she's playing hard to get. No, at one point she says to him, I would be interested in you, but I'm a soldier now. But then she does walk around carrying a gun as well, doesn't she? And, and they have a whole conversation about where she served and the fact that he served for a while as well, don't they? Yeah, but then she also says, I used to have, like, I used to have a lover, but then I became a soldier. It's just a weird way. It just keeps cropping up, and it seems like an odd thing to keep putting in. But it, it is a role that was originally written as a man anyway, isn't it? Oh, where did you hear that? Are you just making that shit up? No, 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 no. It was on the uh, the IMDb. Oh, it was? <laughs> so it's got to be true. Yeah, it was originally a role that was written. He was supposed to be an overweight Mexican guy. <laughs> yeah. All right, so he switched and, into a slim blonde. Well, she read for the role of the sister... Okay. And then said to Walter Hill that she thought that the sidekick role was the far more interesting role. So they rewrote it for her as a, to make it a woman. Well, I kind of like in the film that there is no romantic relationship between them. See, I don't think, I, don't, I didn't see that. I, I thought that there was a little bit. You thought, you, you detected this in Michael yeah. Pearl's subtle acting? <laughs> well, it was more from her acting than his. Who oh, knows okay. what he was thinking? <laughs> he, he walked around the entire 90 minutes with one expression on his face. So, I mean, who knows what was going on right. there? But, okay. yeah, I, I just got the impression that she was interested. But he wasn't because he was always interested in Ellen. Absolutely, until, obviously, what happens later. But Okay. Yeah. All right. But, but she, I'll, I'll agree that she, her role in the, in the entire movie, she's got the, the, the better role. 
Right. She's got the best role in the movie. Right. She's the most interesting character. She is. She is. She's interesting. Yeah. And Rick Moranis' character, Billy Fish, he's quite good as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> that was a fuck you, wasn't it? Okay. <laughs> so, and they leave the bear. As she says, she needs a place to crash, and Tom offers his sister's place. we still got the credits, like we said. It's still going. It is. Yeah. And this film has pretty much every 50s trope you can think of. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's 50s Americana mixed with 80s sleekness, isn't it? That's what it is. Yeah. Um, so back at his sister's, we see that even though Cody says he's over Ellen and doesn't really want anything to do with her, he still carries a picture of her in his wallet. Yeah. A really old picture as well. Looks like it was taken in the 1920s. Okay. It's all faded and looks like it was taken with one of those big flash camera things that they had in, like, Western movies. You're like Blade Runner. (laughs) Explain. Harrison Ford, he takes a picture and you can see around corners and... <laughs> and you, you've taken a picture. Now you can see what kind of camera was used on it. That's it amazing. Looks that way. How Andy does it see, look from the Andy, picture? He can see round corners. Who? Michael Parr? No, Harrison Ford in Blade Runner. Oh, well, that's a debate for another it's, it's time. It's pity you can't when he's flying a plane. <laughs> he saw a runway. He went for it. <laughs> That's that how we do it. <laughs> He made the Kessel run in five million parsecs or whatever it is. Yeah, it doesn't tell <laughs> you, know. you he nearly hit on the way there. <laughs> it would be the first time, would it? So, the next morning, Cody gets some weapons from a car mechanic, and then he goes to find Billy the Fish. Billy the Fish, I love that man. <laughs> I'm just going to keep using it. Wasn't, agrees... there a char- wasn't there a character in the Beano when we were kids called Billy Fish? Wasn't that Billy Wiz? Billy Wiz, yeah. Because yeah, he sorry. was really fast, wasn't yes. Because he was always smoking stuff. <laughs> so Tom agrees to rescue Ellen for $10,000, but only if Billy comes along and Reva gets 10%. Oh, sorry, McCoy, sorry, Reva. Comes along and McCoy gets 10%. Mm-hmm. So they head to an area called the Battery, and to a place known as Torches, which is where the bombers hang out. Mm-hmm. And then they're told by a crazy stranger that's where Ellen is being held in a role that's completely pointless. It is. I mean, he, he tells is. them stuff that they kind of already know and then he's never seen again. Yeah, and Rick Moranis' character even points that out, that we know all this. Well, he actually does, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Egg Begley Jr. needed a job? And You think he was just hanging around? Do you think those were, they were his own clothes? <laughs> could be. Could be. I mean, yeah. In, in this movie, he was the most authentic-looking thing. So. Yeah, maybe. He was just standing there and like, hey. So, Tarches is a weird place, right? It's um, it's, it's futuristic rockabilly, isn't it, is what I would call it. And they got a stripper. They have, who is apparently um, the girl that did most of the dancing in Flashdance. Oh, but she's trying to dance to rock and roll. Yeah, in a, in a one stocking one stocking one body stocking thing that she's wearing right yeah it's it's an interesting part it's kind of like it's like the blue oyster club but with rock music (laughs) blue Blue oyster (laughs) being the bar in police academy oh i know what it is uh, (laughs) oh yes you do (laughs) and then we see william defoe Raven is now spotting a fetching pair of latex dungarees. He's got galoshes on. I thought he was going fishing. Yeah, that's a weird <laughs> costume, isn't it? <laughs> he's going to hang out at his rockabilly bar and then he's going to go fishing for some trout later in a stream, you know. Right, and upstairs he has Ellen tied to the bed. Yeah, this is a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, and he, he kind of like, he tries to kiss her and then tells her he just wants her to be friends for a while. He has a great line. He says, I'm not a bad guy. I just get excited around pretty girls. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. We all do, <laughs> but we don't then run out and buy a pair of latex dungarees and tie them to a bed. Not all of us. I, I, I bet he's filling up those dungarees. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're made of rubber. Oh, really? Easy clean. So, yeah, it's a weird scene. I mean, she's clearly not going to be his friend. 
<laughs> well, yeah. You don't start off on the right foot when you tie someone to a bed, do you? No, there's there's usually a lot leading up to that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at least, you know, take her down to the Rockabilly Club first. Yeah. Where there's, yeah. Where there's lots of sweaty guys with with uh, rather copious amounts of brill cream being used. Maybe he just goes to different nightclubs and looks at you know concerts and then looks at the lead singer and then just keeps kidnapping them. Maybe it's like a really complicated form of Tinder. Could well be. I mean, who else could he have kidnapped in the eighties? Uh, Toya. Toya. Yeah. It's very European. Um, also, you got to wonder why she came to my mouth straight away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have I thought about kidnapping Toya? No, i just like to make that clear right now. Well, the first thing that came to my mind was Michael Jackson. So. <laughs> oh, see, I thought you would have gone for Carol Decker. I'll always go for Carol Decker. <laughs> but only after Michael Jackson. Well, he, he, he's dead. He can't fight back. I mean, if they kidnapped him, not with me. I don't, I didn't mean... <laughs> I didn't mean that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so so back, back to the movie. Um, <laughs> Tom, and, Tom and his rescue party formulate a plan. Yeah. And McCoy enters torches and is stopped by one of the gang members. She pretends to be interested in him and he takes her to his, quote, party room, unquote. Which looks like, um, how can I put it? It looks like a basement after there's been a a rather bad leak that's a great way of putting it well you know it's all it's, all, it's a bit nasty isn't it it's a bit ske- ske- skeevy and it's his party room it's not his clean room it's his party room yeah he doesn't uh, last long does he he doesn't really have much of a party does he no no but the party room is near to where raven is playing a game of poker and like he said he doesn't have much of a party because she knocks him out which is what mccoy does she's good yeah, she just keeps punching people and knocking them out. She does. She's tough. Meanwhile, Tom's trying to create a diversion. I'm not sure how this works, but he's shooting bikes on the rooftop. Very flammable bikes. He, I thought he had exploding rounds or something. Oh, okay. I was, maybe I was, I was being unreasonable for looking for reasons as to why things were just blowing up as soon as he was shooting them, you know. But I just presume that because we were in a kind of futuristic other place that maybe all the guns in this world made things explode uh, go for it that sounds fine to me i think it's just the fact that walter hill likes explosions could possibly and you know he used the same explosion more than once oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. you've been to the glenn a larson school of filming absolutely yeah it's good enough for glenn a larson it's good enough for walter hill so then tom makes his way to where ellen is being held which it's weird. If you're the one causing the diversion, shouldn't you not be the one who's then trying to enter the place? Shouldn't somebody else be causing the diversion? I presume that that was his plan. And then when he came down and entered the place, I thought, what are you doing? Yeah, right? Well, yeah. It doesn't really work. But it works for him. Well, he's... I suppose he wouldn't have... As a hero of the movie, he's got to do something, hasn't he? He hasn't done anything up to this point. No. So he makes his way to where Ellen has been held, cuts her free, and with the help of Mackay, they make their escape. Mm-hmm. Billy pulls up in Tom's convertible, and Tom tells him to go. He'll come along later. Don't know why he does this either. Why doesn't he just get in the car? Because he wants to stay for a while and cause some more mayhem, doesn't he? Oh, so you think he's got, like, this weird desire to just blow things up well uh, as one of the pol- one of the two police officers in this entire in this entire movie said earlier in, in the film he's a juvenile delinquent and he belongs in jail ah so you think it's just a beautiful piece of script writing absolutely okay. it's it's foreshadowing and then paying off later excellent no no <laughs> <laughs> so they drive away as as tom is blowing things up raven appears and they stand up from each other once Raven finds out who Tom is, he tells him that he'll get Ellen back and he'll kill Tom. Tom. I, I'm not being funny. I'm not being funny, but there's some, this is terrible dialogue. It's beautiful. It's poetry. <sighs> you, need, you need to read some better poetry. <laughs> no, you're right. It's not great. But I, I, don't, I don't watch this film for the dialogue. You, you watch it for the music, don't you? That's right. Yeah. I watch it for the feeling, not the content. For the feeling. Tom then escapes on a bike. Mm-hmm. 
One that uh, doesn't blow up. One that doesn't blow up. But he, yeah. but he, he rides it very gingerly, just in case. <laughs> You've got to be careful in it's this like, film. It's like, look out for the potholes <laughs> riding round him. <laughs> Any minute now, one, he could just go up. One little bump and he's done. Yeah. So meanwhile, Billy has been telling Ellen that the only reason Tom rescued her was for the money. And McCoy is telling Billy that Tom used to be Ellen's man. So there's a lot of conflict going on between them. He's not happy, is he, Billy? No. So while Billy and McCoy argue about Tom and Ellen's relationship, Tom and Ellen are also arguing. She's heard that the only reason he was there is for the money. He thinks she was always about the money. Mm-hmm. And then they ditch the car. And as Billy the Fish points out, why are they ditching the car? Well, he just says, we've got to ditch the car. Okay, good enough reason. I, I assume it's because the police... See, even that doesn't make sense because I would assume it's because the police are looking for it, but then there are no police in this film. There were none at the battery when things were blowing up, so how do they know what car to look for? And he gets the car back at the end of the movie. Yeah, and then we get a whole kind of pop video. Oh, God, this... This whole bit, this cutting in and out of a black screen, I thought I was developing epilepsy at one point. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's something wrong with the DVD. It was. It, it, I thought, there's something wrong with my Blu-ray player, or this is making me... I, 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 there's something wrong with my head. My brain's, like, about to explode. All of those are still possible. They are, yeah. And I, and I, I was more convinced it was going to happen as the film went on. Because we get a weird black... keeps cutting to black... It does. It keeps cutting in and out of a black screen. And it's a, like we've now got into an 80s video effect. <sighs> and that goes on for a while. Oh, yes, it does. Well, complete song again, right? Yeah. This film would be 20 minutes long if they didn't do this. <laughs> yeah, it would. It would. But then it wouldn't be as fun. So, they then hold You say up... fun. You say fun. I do. They hold up a bus. It turns out to be a tour bus for the Sorrells. Yes. So, shall we... Uh, explain who the Sorrells are because it's kind of important isn't it because they do they do make a, a thing out of it don't they they're a group yeah and they're they all, all black they're all black and they remind me of the group in Back to the Future yes so it's the same mm. kind of group it's the mm-hmm. same kind of music and I always get in my mind sometimes I get them mixed up because it's so what, isn't it it's, yes it's so similar and so they steal this bus and then the wheel gets punctured and he's changing. And it's funny because Mackay is the one changing the wheel. That's because she's an all-action kind of girl, isn't she? Yeah, it's great. I, I like that. It's good. Yeah. No one makes a big deal about it either. I don't know, but And what, what's Tom doing at this point, our hero? Oh, he's staring into space. <laughs> Actually, I think he's, he's keeping guard, really. But he just he's, stir- he's staring into space for the whole movie, isn't he? Blandly staring away and... Billy's annoying everybody because then they have a conversation about Ellen and how Tom's not good for her and Billy's her guy and and then Billy gets annoyed with everybody else, starts shouting. Mm-hmm. And this is mm-hmm. where this is the point for me where I'm like, just just punch him. <laughs> I, am, I am there at that point. You see, I didn't get I didn't get there for him. I, I, of all the people that were in it, Billy was was one of the ones I could tolerate. Well, you're very tolerant of annoying, loudmouth people. It's why you're so good on this podcast with me. This is true. This is true. You said that. I didn't say it. I'm just getting there before and, you and do. Not, and not just the podcast. 30 years of it I've had. 30 years. Oh, whoa, whoa, calm down. It's not therapy. 30, I'll say it again. 30 <laughs> years. Well, all right. Long time. <clears throat> we're watching a film. Where were we? That's <laughs> we're almost finished. <laughs> It's been a long, isn't it? Wish the film did. <laughs> so once the wheels change, they head back on the road and they meet a police roadblock. We've now heard about all the explosions and gunfire that occurred down at the battery and they're looking for them. At mm-hmm. first they try to, or at least Billy does, bribe the way through, but that doesn't work. And the, the bad guy police officer who who's obviously up for a bribe, he refers to the Shirelles as spade musicians, doesn't he? He does, yeah. yeah. Because that's so. we're getting our fifties racism into the film. Oh, it's it's trolled on, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Did you say trolled or trolled? Trolled. Oh, okay. As in trowel, trowel, it sounds, trowel. Sound like you said trolled on. Okay, so they they actually smash through the roadblock, mm-hmm. and then they head back to the town. 
and go straight to a police station. But, but you know, they, these two cops, they're, they're all right, though, aren't they? They don't seem bothered that these people have just smashed through a roadblock. Mm. And they don't mm. seem to be chasing them like all the other police are doing. They, they don't seem to want to do anything no. other than ride around in their car. That's what yeah. they seem to do in this movie. Yeah. Well, up to this point. But... To, yeah. yeah. No, no, this is the point in the movie where I wrote in my notes, why are there no likable characters in this film? Let's see. You don't like, well, you don't like Ellen because she's annoying, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Mackay? You like Mackay? I like her. She's, she's, she's the best character in the movie, but she's still not likable, really, is she? I mean, she's everyone in this movie is either complaining or angry or sarcastic. There's no positive people in this film at all. Hmm. What about Raven? He doesn't complain. But he's the bad guy. You're supposed to hate him, aren't you? Yeah, but Wait, maybe, maybe I mean, he's the good it, guy. We don't, but we, Except for his, you know, fetish for tying women up and wearing latex. We don't know anything about... I mean, in all fairness, we don't know anything about most of the characters in this film, but we know nothing about Raven, do we? Except for his... That he likes pretty girls and he gets excited when he's around them. Right. <laughs> and his yeah. bed fetish. But other, and he, and his, his love of fishing. But other than that, <laughs> we don't really know anything about him at all. Yeah, that's true. Maybe the unifying theme of this movie is... Um, Everybody sucks. Brill cream, I was going for. Brill cream, okay. Everyone, everyone seems to use it. All right. Yeah, there's a lot of slick looks going on in this film. Tis the 50s. Oh, but it, no. Yeah, but it's not, is it? It's not no. the 50s. It's no, another it's time in another place. That's yeah. right. Oh, so Ellen is still angry at Tom. Mm-hmm. And she turns this anger on the town and says she wishes he'd never come back. And so she and Billy Fish decide to leave first thing in the morning. He's punching way above his weight, though, isn't he? Oh, yeah, and he knows it. That's why he's angry at everybody all the time. But he's angry at her as well. Yeah. He's just, he's just emoting too much. There was a lot of high jokes in this movie. I didn't, I didn't appreciate either. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Okay. So later Tom goes to the hotel room. Billy mm-hmm. and Ellen think it's for the money, but when he's offered the money, he takes McCoy's cut and throws the rest back at Billy. He mm-hmm. tells Ellen there would have been a time would have done anything for her, but now that's gone. Mm-hmm. And he heads out into the rain. She's impressed by this. Yeah, she chases him, and they kiss, and then there's spanky time. What? <laughs> Is this where you turned it off? Yeah, I, I imagine the rest. <laughs> yeah, you imagine the rest. Add, add some spanky time and then put the yeah. movie back on. Yeah. Yep. I went for the, the uh, Raven Shadow approach. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're kissing in the rain and then you see them cuddled up in bed and they're all wet. It's like, did you not dry yourself off before you got in the bed? I mean, that bed's going to be... It's called so- passion, Paul. If you, if you had that in your life, you wouldn't be drying off either. You what you? I'm sorry. You can take all the passion in the world, but I'm not laying in a wet bed. You know. How do you know it wasn't wet afterwards? Because the the heat of what they've been doing made them wet. I can't imagine Michael Parr getting that heated. So they kiss, and then there's spanky time. Yeah, as you said. Yeah. So meanwhile, Raven tells the cops that he wants to meet Tom alone, and if he agrees to hand Tom over, the gang will depart the town for good. And it looks like the head of the police department is going to agree. But afterwards, he tells Tom about the conversation. He tells Tom that if he doesn't leave in the morning, he'll arrest him as well as Raven. I don't understand that. Why is he telling him to go? Because he doesn't want any trouble. But there's going to be trouble. If, if Tom... Because if, if Raven doesn't get Tom, he's going to have trouble, isn't he? Yeah, also, don't you think, though, he has an affection for Tom, even though he calls him a juvenile delinquent? He never arrests him. And in the beginning, he's the one that they walk away. So he's kind of like... I think, he, I think it know. develops as the movie goes on. I think when we first see him... I think it's the beginning, too. You reckon? Because it doesn't, well, he doesn't arrest him. The, other, the younger cop is like, oh, show us your driver license, show us this, do this, do that. And, he's, and they just start talking. But he says he belongs in away. prison. He's a typical juvenile delinquent and he belongs in prison. But he doesn't arrest him. So you think that it's, it's, it's kind of like... Yeah, just you, talk. Yeah, just talk. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
I can buy that. Oh. I, I can buy that in this movie. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you can convince me of anything at this point. So then the spaceship lands. The what? <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I, was, I was going, hang on a minute. What <laughs> I didn't write that bit down. What? <laughs> Now, Ellen and Tom have a conversation. Ellen wants Tom to leave with her, and he, but he makes a plan with Mackay after giving her a share of the money. Mm-hmm. So in the morning, we see Tom, Ellen, and Mackay taking a train out of town, <laughs> but then Tom just knocks Ellen out. He's a bit harsh. I'm sure there's an easier way to do it than just punching her in the face. <laughs> it's a bit of a surprise. And it's a proper punch as well. Oh, yeah. With a good thwack we, noise, like we've, we've come to expect yeah. from this film. You know, it's... yeah. And he tells Mackay to keep her safe, and he leaves the train and heads back to town. I don't but why knock her out? Why go through this whole thing with her anyway? I don't know. He could have just told her in the hotel room. Yeah, just say, stay in here, keep your head down. I'm going to go and sort it out. Yeah. But no, I'm going to come up with an elaborate plan, let her think everything's all right, and then punch her in the face. (laughs) (laughs) If you think about it, who's worst? Raven or Tom? Raven ties her to a bed, tells her he wants to be his friend. Tom punches her. Either way, it's not good. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's kind of... I think the tying, tying someone to a bed is... Uh, I mean, he doesn't tie her in a way. I mean, he ties her pretty much spread eagle, doesn't he? Either of them are not the basis for a stable relationship. Not really, not really. But you, no. you, you probably wouldn't pick the guy who ties you spread eagle to a bed, would you? And, and, and where's galoshes? <laughs> not again I wouldn't <laughs> you and me both <laughs> ah, that was a Blackpool trip I'll never forget <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a Blackpool alright moving on quickly hey I'm just going along with you I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> nah, I don't know what I'm talking about either too much Red Bull so meanwhile Raven lied about coming alone and is about to set his full gang on the town which numbers in the hundreds apparently yeah, he suddenly has an army. Yeah, and the townspeople turn up, and they're all armed. Mm-hmm. And just as all hell is about to break loose, Tom arrives. He does, in his um, in his pajamas, from the looks of it. I didn't notice. Yeah, yeah, he's wearing pajamas. Those kind of Western pajamas, you know those. Um, oh. Yeah, you know the underoo things. Underoo. He's got a pair of those on. Yeah. So they decide to have a one-on-one fight with giant hammers. Obviously, you're going to bring hammers, aren't you? It's a given. Okay. Where are you going today? I'm going to go hammer, hammer fight. It's weird. It's like, it's like Walt Hills just went, mm, you know what we're missing? Explosions. Oh, you know what we're missing? 50s music. You know what we're missing? Hammers. Absolutely. And just threw them in there. Wouldn't it be funny, though, instead of hammers, and he said we're going to have a hammer fight, he pulls out some massive pants? No. Well, I thought it was funny. <laughs> we're gonna get hammered michael pass playing oh. all the alcohol all the bottles he's like yes just like a friday night that's what happens happens a lot a lot later in his career yeah as he as he's playing old videos of eddie and the cruisers and, and watching uh videos of um the philadelphia experiment the one good movie he ever made he was in eddie and the cruisers right he was yeah and and there's a video on YouTube of him being interviewed for Eddie and the Cruisers 2. Is this a real thing? Yeah, yeah, if you go look. And, and the interviewer says to him, why did you decide to do Eddie and the Cruisers 2? What compelled you to do this film? And he looks out of it and he just goes, well, it was my biggest success, so I thought I'd, you know... Use it. <laughs> like, well, bravo, Michael. Bravo. <laughs> yeah, no, no artistic bullshit there. Bravo. I suppose he, at least he didn't say beer money. Yeah, we should be glad about that. I bet that's what it really was. Yeah, beer money. Yeah. What do you get paid? Do you get paid twenty dollars for that movie? <laughs> but you know, there's a sequel to this film too. Oh, do- we're not. We're not watching that one. Oh no, you you can't find it. What a surprise! <laughs> it was it was filmed on videotape. Really? <laughs> yeah, and it's appalling. What's it called? Oh, uh, I'd have to look it up. I can't remember. I've blanked it from my mind. And it's an actual sequel. 
And I'm, pre- yeah. I'm presuming that none of the principal actors return. The person that played his sister returns. She's the only one. Wow. No one else returns. And, of course, it's nothing to do with Walter Hill or Joe Silver or anything like that. Why, why, why make a sequel to something that was a massive flop? Um, because it has a cult following, I guess. But it's almost like a fan film, really. So was it, that, was it done someone... years later? Yes. Right, okay. Yeah. It's one of those. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they're fighting mm-hmm. back at the film. Uh, Raven fights dirty, but Tom manages to win. And the gang, now dispirited, they... They bugger take, off. They just leave, yeah. yes, taking Raven with them. It's a, bit, it's a bit of a damp square of an ending, really, isn't it? Yeah, because you expect that the... I, I expected like the gang will go crazy, but then the townspeople will come in and mm-hmm. stand behind Tom and say like, you know, if you're gonna do anything else, you got to come for us, that kind of thing. But no, they just turn around and leave. They go, oh well, that was that, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, like oh, there's a town just down the road. We could just smash that one yeah, up instead. Yeah. yeah. Well, why are we yeah. bothering with just just this one street? Yeah. You know? Let's go the block over. <laughs> exactly. All the people are here, no so there'll be there. nobody exactly. there. There's no one else around, is there? No, two, the two policemen are here. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. So now we think, oh, film's over. But no, we've got another I got, song. I got excited. I thought this was the end. No, no, you got a whole other song. You know, a Jim oh, Stein oh, yeah. classic to get through. And it's a good and it's song. It's a long one. It's a, it's long a good one, one. It's a good song, though. Oh, both these songs. Funnily enough, the opening song of the movie and the end song of the movie are the best songs in the whole movie. And they're the, the two Jim Steinman ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as she's singing, Tom tells Billy that he's just going to leave. He can never give Ellen what she needs. Um, so as she's singing on stage, he slips out the door, goes outside, and McCoy has pulled up now driving Tom's previously stolen car. Mm-hmm. The one that they ditched. Yep. And he mm-hmm. gets in, and they drive off, hopefully, to the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> and you wrap that up so quickly and it really doesn't really doesn't work that way <laughs> <laughs> why i well i had to sit through 10 minutes of another pop video and i'm thinking is it going to end is it going to end and i'm thinking oh we got a big zoom out it's going to end and then we go back into it and oh it's not going to end is it <laughs> <laughs> yeah they they do like their music and it, uh, there were various points during this last musical number where I kept thinking, oh, it's going to freeze frame here and that's going to be the end of the movie. It's going to do it? No. Oh, no, he hasn't, has it? Oh, right, it's going to do it now. Because oh. it's, it's one of those Bat Out of Hell songs, it's always like, oh, it's going to finish. Oh, no, they're going an octave higher. Yeah, it's got higher. five endings. Yeah. Not only does the film have a never-ending ending, the, the, songs, the end song's got five endings. Yeah, like I said, it just goes an octave higher. Yeah, absolutely. It just keeps going up and up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there we have it, Streets of Fire. Traditionally, do I have to go first? You want me to go first for a change? You go first. Yeah, All you right. go first. First, I never saw this when it came out in 84. Mm-hmm. I never even heard of it. But I watched it years later, and I really loved it at the time. And I thought it was mind-blowing, definitely a lot of style. I loved the way it looked. I loved the music. And I think I gave it four out of five on Letterboxd. That was crazy for this film. And I, I bought it. I imported it from the UK on Blu-ray because it's not out over here yet. Wow. Collect, collector's edition coming out soon. Um, All right. Mr. So, Fan. So, so, no, no, no. I really enjoyed it. So I sat down to watch it this time, and I was, like, rubbing my hands together, going, oh, this would be good. And I didn't enjoy it. Wow. I was bored by it for most of the time. I like the music. I have the soundtrack album. I would rather listen to the soundtrack album than watch the film. Mm-hmm. And I think I, the first time I watched it, I was carried away by the style and the look and the music. And that carried me through the film enough for me to leave it on an end, on an up, and go, oh, yeah, I enjoyed that. This time, because I was expecting it, Mm-hmm. I needed story and acting and other things to help me bring me back to where I was originally. And of course, there's none of that in this film because it really is an empty shot of a film. Wow, I'm shocked. So I was, I was disappointed. I, I had the same reaction that you had to Condor Man. I was just thinking, this sounds exactly a mirror of what I said about Condor Man, doesn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. And I was actually going to get the collector's edition when it comes out, and but now I'm like, eh, do I really need to? Maybe it's a case that you you know because you watched it with a more critical eye, like I did with Condor Man. I mean, I could sit down maybe in a year's time and watch Condor Man where I'm not making notes and I could enjoy it again. Maybe it could be the same thing with this movie for you. Yeah, there is something to say about that, that when you're actually looking at a film and examining it... And we're looking for talking points as well. Yeah, it kind of sucks the fun out of it to a certain Mm -hmm. degree. But obviously not sucks the fun out of it for the recording process because obviously we're a lot of fun when we record the the podcast, aren't we? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a shame, but... I didn't enjoy it. Maybe I will next time if I ever get around to watching it ten years from now. Interesting. I I, I pretty much know that you didn't like it. Well, I hoped you would again, actually. I well when when you Before first suggested I saw that we it. <laughs> when, when when you first suggested that we do this movie and, and you showed me the trailer, I watched the trailer and I thought, oh, I'm going to be completely on board with this. This is this is right up my alley, and. Um, and it started. I'd never heard of this film before either. I thought I confused it with another movie. I have to say, and um, I, I love the opening. I thought the opening was great. I thought it was really, really good. I thought the song was fantastic, and I was completely on board with it. I was really, and then it it continued, and <laughs> <laughs> I think it it's got some really odd performances in it. I think Michael Parr's a complete charisma vacuum. He's got, there's nothing there oh, on the screen. Totally a poor choice for the film. It should have, He's dreadful. It should have been somebody else. This is like we discussed on Bloodspot, where this is a film that needs a good charismatic lead to cover up all the other problems with the film. Absolutely, absolutely. And he's not, he's certainly not. If, that this, if this film had all. Bruce Willis in mid 80s, yeah. You would have been like, oh, and, and he, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Not Bruce Willis now, of course. Well, no, because nobody no. wants that. But yeah, so the, 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 there's some strange performances, um, but it looks good. I'll give it that. It's it's heavily stylized. Mm-hmm. It's that whole fifties Americana mixed with eighties um, sleekness that I mentioned yeah. earlier. But I think it's a failure as a movie, and I couldn't help thinking as I watched it that I think this would work so much better today as a piece of musical theatre. Yeah, I could see that, yeah. You know, because it's, it's very stagey. Yes. The whole film's very stagey. And, you know, in the era that we live in now where you can take a bunch of Queen songs and make a dystopian musical about right. them, you know, you, if you wrote a couple of extra songs and stuck them into this and, and turned it into a musical piece of musical theatre, I think it would work a, a storm. It would be fantastic. Oh. But as a film, it, it, it fails. Yeah. It fails on on most levels. Maybe we should give Rick maybe Ryan. we should give Michael a, a call and say like, "Well, what about theatre, Streets of Fire, no, the nobody, musical?" God, God, nobody can. No, you want to sit through that live with him in it? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's bad enough seeing him in a in a ninety minute movie. I wouldn't want to sit in a theatre watching it. Right. But 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 with you know if you've got consummate people to do it live it would be i think it would, could be amazing you could do you, you could do the whole thing on the stage set with the with the the main part of the movie is set in that street where there's those with the bridge yeah. with the bridge legs that would work great on stage you, it, it, it looks it would look fantastic so we're saying but, streets of but, fire hit as a musical <laughs> here's a, a, a musical if it was a, not as a film no i wouldn't put it on the list at all it's um it was painful to get through at times, oh. you know. Rick Moranis is good. Eh, like I said, this time my to- tolerance level for him was pretty low. Yeah. But yeah. obviously, I can, I, I can see obviously he didn't people. annoy me that much the first time I watched it. Yeah, I, maybe you watched it with a less, a more open mind when you yeah, first maybe. watched it. Maybe, yeah. You know, I can see why this movie would appeal to you. Wow! Knowing you whoa, as a dick, that sounds that sounds like an insult. No, 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 no! I don't mean I, it as an insult. I, I just, I, I just can mean see why this film would appeal to you, moron. Well, you, you like <laughs> you, you you like you like things that that stand out. You like things that are different, mm-hmm. but not too different, right? But yeah, no, I think it's a no. Yeah, it's a no from me too. And I'm shocked by that. I, I thought we were going to argue about it. Really yeah, don't. it's been a shame we've not had a really good argument. 
I'm going to have to start lying and just pretend I like one that I don't. <laughs> we, we kind of disagreed on Condor Man a bit. Yeah, we? we did. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, I mean, you you wanted to get down on your knees to Condor Man, didn't you? It's a good film. Anyway. <laughs> 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 so that wraps it up for Streets of Fire. So next week we're going to carry on with the Carry On team and do Carry On Behind. Change your pace and... Um... Let's watch those uh, listing figures drop, <laughs> especially in the US, where no, no one will know what we're talking about. All right, well, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Retrospection. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I've got to be. Well, if you'd like to suggest a film or TV show, then you can reach us at retrospection at email.com. You can find us on Twitter at Retrospecky and also on Facebook. You can also Instagram us and Fleebulous uh, and Twiddleus and Dwabalubulus and Fingyweezy, all those other social media things I've never heard of. I, I pray to be Fingyweezy, please. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even say it. Yeah, but I'd love it either okay. way. It sounds fun. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Hold on, can I go and get another beer? No.